Sometimes I like when you're dealing with sellers who are, who are acting like that. I have no idea. I'll go like, okay, look, if I come to the property and I make you an offer, how are you going to decide if I'm robbing you yeah. or if, if that's a great offer? Anything that's just kind of wasteful time. Like I don't like going to appointments. Like if it's going to be like a small shitty deal, yeah. like I'd rather do less deals and have a higher average deal value and just not be on the phones or not be trying to underwrite a million deals all day long. Like yeah. I'm okay doing that. Like in 2021, that was like our first eye opening year where I was like, oh shit, we did a million dollars, but it was off 20 deals. So like, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So if I see a situation and it just doesn't, it should be pretty obvious that it's a deal. You shouldn't have yeah. to like Convince really yourself. go in a deep underwriting and be like, well, maybe if we, like I, like I hear a lot about like the lender, oh man, like that deal's not gonna work because my lender's charging me two points. It's like if two points is gonna be the make or break on a, on a flip, you should, probably shouldn't be flipping that deal. you guys welcome back to another episode of light it up podcast we are super excited to have with us today we have ricky morgan also known as real estate ricky on instagram ricky thank you so much for spending some time with us today man yeah great being here guys awesome so we have the real we have the new jersey connection with ricky formerly from new jersey right you is it yeah. fair to say you grew up yeah, in I lived in, yeah i lived in new jersey for what 24 years wow i, I grew up in freehold okay so yeah. Monmouth County, yeah. uh, and then it moved out to Arizona, uh, what, like six years ago. So nice. And, and how old are you, Ricky? I'm 30. Okay, got it. One wow. thing that's important, and it's, it's the reason why we, uh, you know, asked you to come on is part of like majority of the people we've had on are real estate professionals that sell real estate, and the natural progression for someone who's an agent or in real estate sales is to naturally progress into actually developing and owning real estate themselves. And uh, so that should be the natural progression. That should be the natural progression. So it's almost like it's our responsibility to bring on individuals like yourself to educate those viewers. So this is going to be pretty epic. So let's get into the lightning round so we yeah. can jump into those questions. Just just to touch upon that, it's 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 always tough. I mean, even myself, like we were we grew up in like coaching programs, right? To just be these yeah. insane like listing agents. Yeah. So for years, we we kick ourselves because we had our blinders on to just try to find listings. So I'm sure, you know, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of homes that I listed that I probably should have bought, yeah. wholesaled or flipped. or flipped. So to think that it's taken me this long to get more and more excited about wholesales and flips is, is, is frustrating, but I, it's utterly pathetic, John. Yeah. I'm glad you're, you're, you're you guys are seeing the light, but I, I call it realtor brain. Yeah. Like I just talked to some realtors and they, they just get stuck in realtor brain. Yeah. Well, we had Pace Morby on, we're name dropping, what, two, three weeks ago. And Pace, Pace told a story about a woman that he connected with. And she's, I don't know, she, I'm going to butcher the story, but she well, shook him. he was him. a contractor. He was a contractor. And he was developing properties that she owned. And she was like, you're stupid. <laughs> she shook him by the shoulders and was like, Pace, you should get into real estate. He's like, yeah. I am in real estate. She's like, no, 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 you should own real estate. And, you know, stop becoming a service provider, being a contractor, just fixing other people's real estate. And, you know, so I don't know. It's um, the overall message here is, and you always say it, it's, it's the business where like insider trading is legal, right? Yeah. 
We see deals yeah. that come across our desk every single day and it's legal to actually go ahead and buy the deal, right? Value. Yeah. Why would you not participate more? Especially when creative guys like you and Pace are out there showing people, literally sharing with people how to buy property without your own money. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. I think too, like just sometimes the best option isn't to list it uh, with, you know, some of the motivated, distressed people. So we'll get more into that for sure. Yeah. Sick. Let's wrap up this lightning round real quick. <laughs> What are the top three things on your bucket list? Top three things on the bucket list. Travel like most of the world. I haven't been too much outside of the country besides like some islands in Mexico. Um, so I'd like to see like the other kind of like Europe and Asia. So definitely travel. Uh, play Augusta National. I'm a big golfer. So uh, play Augusta slash like go to the Masters. Uh, definitely on the, on the bucket list. And I guess have some children. Pop so them know. out. <laughs> yeah, I think they should probably, you should probably do it in that order. Yeah, right. You have the kids first. And so you can't travel and you can't screw everything else up. Yeah, exactly. I got to get those first two done. <laughs> What's something you'll never do again? Drink like I did in my early 20s. Yeah. Yeah, never doing that again. What was the worst drinking story you have? I don't know, man, but I, I did go to Rutgers. So oh, Brunswick? Camden. Damn. I commuted. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Um, I did like the whole like community thing. So happiest decision I ever made was not getting into bad college debt. Like mm. I pretty much went to college for a couple thousand bucks. But yeah, a lot of crazy drinking stories back then. Have you quit drinking these days? No, nah, man. Drinking's cool. Yeah, just... I still drink like one day a week. Just not, you know, putting down bottles before parties and yeah. crazy yeah. stuff that you yeah. do in college, you know? Yeah, I'm trying to stop doing that. As you get older, <laughs> yeah. As you get older, you realize like if I go hard tonight, it's going to I'm going to be two messed days. up for two th two days. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, dude, it's like I, I can only do one day a week at the most or and, I'm and, done. And if I'm you have ahead. nothing to do those next two days when you're younger, it's no big deal, right? But when you have a uh, full schedule the next day, it really really sets you back. Yeah. 100%. On that note, should we take this shot? I, I I have been sipping mine. All right. Good. Ricky, what's the best advice you ever received? Probably just don't overthink and take action mm. and learn through your mistakes. I think that's gotten me pretty far. And um, earlier in, in my years, I would overthink things too much and feel like I had to have everything figured out. So now I'm much more like just take action on it and figure out the problems as you go. I love that one. That's like a big one. It's funny because a lot of the times when we would analyze certain deals after we had that kind of like, what are we doing? We should analyze it in different ways. You find a great deal, you analyze it, and then you're like, but what if this happens? But what if the news is actually right and the market does drop 5%? What, what if it's never happened? Well, yeah, but that's that. I wish that was the thinking process. But when yeah. you have something right in front of you, and you're like, but what if What if this happens? And then now the deal, the numbers don't make sense because you're calculating an extra 5% in like, oh, shit. Yeah. I mean, we, we've said it on here a million times. Action is better than perfection, right? Just taking action every day, moving, moving the ball forward. And not to fill this with a million cliches, but the one that always comes to mind for, with me is is Grant Cardone, I think, said it. He's like, commit and then figure out the rest later, yeah. right? Yeah. So if a deal comes across your, your desk to buy a 10-unit building and the numbers look pretty damn good, even if you don't have the damn down payment, just figure say yes. Out. Make the offer. 
you'll find somebody to partner with you to find that down payment. You'll find somebody to lend you the money for the down payment. You'll find a way to get the loan. You'll find a way if you're committed. Cool. Let's jump into it. Sounds good. All right. So Ricky, walk, walk us through your story. How did you get your first deal? How did you get into flipping and wholesaling? Yeah. So like I said, I grew up in New Jersey. I graduated from Rutgers with a business degree. So just like general business, I had no idea what I really wanted to do. I was applying for jobs and I took a sales job cold calling for Yelp. Wow. So like the, the app where you, you oh, know, yeah. find restaurants and Yelp is the mafia. Yelp's the mafia. Right, right. The mafia. So it was a tough job because business owners fucking hate Yelp. Yep. Like <laughs> absolutely hate Yelp. Like they're the mafia, high reviews. And I'm calling them trying to sell them advertising. Yeah. So I would I would make 80 to 100 cold calls a day uh, to business owners. So it was a really tough job. But I honestly recommend like if you're out of college, you want to make money or it, even if you never go to college, get a sales job where you have to cold call. Yeah. And you have to get really good at, you know, bringing value right away. Getting rejected. Talking to people on the phones, objection, objection handling, kind of all that stuff. So I got really good at that. And I kind of thought in my head, you know, I'd probably just continue on, climb the corporate ladder, made my first six figure year in my early 20s. So I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. But then I got moved into management. I realized the way corporate America kind of works, you kind of have to play their game. And, Hmm. you know, that's just not really me. I'm kind of don't do very well listening to others or like if I have my own opinions on things. So I was like, okay, I don't think I want to do this forever. Like I don't want my boss's job and I don't want to climb this corporate ladder. So at that point I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to figure out something else to do something more like on my own. So I went hard into kind of just on the internet. I was looking at crypto. This is like 2015, 2016. So I'm looking at like crypto stocks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like starting businesses. Um, And then real estate obviously came up too. So I was reading a lot of books back then, kind of got big into like self-development to kind of mature from that, you know, crazy college 20 year old to like, all right, I got to get my shit together. I want to be successful. I want to make millions. So it took a lot of time reading a lot of books, educating myself on different things. And real estate made a lot of sense to me at the time. It was like rich dad, poor dad cliche, right? But I definitely changed my mindset on kind of what I wanted to do. So after that book, I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy rental properties and I'm going to buy enough rental properties where then I could like quit my job mm-hmm. and the cash flow is just going to replace my income. So I bought my first rental in 2018 after saving up pretty much like every last dollar I had from my, my sales job. I wasn't going out on weekends. I was eating like canned tuna fish just to buy this shitty Trenton house for like $85,000. And at the time, I bought it kind of the traditional way. So I, I didn't buy it at a very deep discount. I put 25% down and it worked. Like it, it was cash flow and it was making me a couple hundred bucks a month. But I realized I wasn't going to be able to get to, I, I probably needed at least 20 rentals to quit my job. And at that rate, putting 25% into each deal, that wasn't going to work on my timeline. You know, yeah. that would have took me 15 years to do. And I was trying to get out of this job in like the next year. So I was like, okay, how can I get deeper deals, you know, get discounted properties? So I kind of went down the rabbit hole and figured out um, wholesaling. So wholesaling and flipping houses and going direct to seller uh, with marketing. 
made a lot of sense with my background. I knew marketing. I knew how to talk to people on the phone. So it was like an easy transition to kind of be like, okay, I just have to cold call homeowners and then kind of go through the same process yeah. of just qualifying people out. So 2019, I partnered up with uh, Steve Kipnis. He's out of uh, New Jersey. So he's my partner in New Jersey. At the time, he already had 20 rentals. So we played college golf together mm. and he hit me up. He knew I moved out to Arizona and he's like, are you in real estate or like, like, do you know much about the Phoenix real estate market? And I'm like, oh, I'm just like starting to learn. Uh, what about you? And he's like, oh, I, I own 20 rentals. So that really, I was like, wait, my college, like, like you, Steve, the, the one we played college golf and smoked weed together. And yeah. like, like you own 20 properties now. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was really kind of my like eye opening, like, okay, if Steve could do it, this is something I could like definitely do as well. Yeah. So uh, what Steve didn't know how to do though, he didn't know sales. He didn't know marketing, uh, but he didn't know like transactions. He's a licensed realtor. I'm not, um, he knew how to renovate properties. So we kind of, our partnership made sense where we kind of had different skill sets that we were bringing to the table. So when we partnered up, it was, you know, I was going to find the deals contract the deals and then he was going to figure out the best way to dispo those deals. Mm. So I uh, quit my job in June of 2019. I like saved up six months of living expenses and enough money for some marketing. And um, I kind of had a strategy in place. I started already sending out some marketing while, while I still had my job, but didn't get my first deal until I guess it was like September. Yeah. September of 2019. So mm. a few months after I, I quit my job, I found a distressed property, wholesaled it, made like five grand. And then things just started to unfold from there. We started reinvesting more money into marketing, started doing more deals. And we ended up doing our first million dollar net profit year uh, flipping and wholesaling in uh, 2021. Nice. Nice, man. Wow. That's great. Good for you, first and foremost, for taking that leap because you did one wholesale. What was... What were you targeting initially? Like, were you going after like probates, distressed properties, expired listings? Was there a specific niche you were going to, or you just shotgun style? Pretty much all those like distressed filters yeah. uh, when we started. So yeah, uh, pre foreclosures, tax liens. Uh, tax liens are a great one for for us in Jersey, especially because tax is so high there. Where if yeah. you don't pay your taxes for like two years, you're in a pretty big hole compared to like other states. Sure. You know, it's five hundred bucks a year. Yeah. It takes you a while before. It has you know, it's really become financial distress. Yeah. Um, inherited properties, probate type leads. So just just anything where there's an increased chance of a problem situation to find that motivated distress seller, which that's the name of the game. If there's no problem to fix, you're not going to buy a house at a discount. You know, those people are going to call up some stud realtors like you to, to get top dollar for the property and list it on the market. Yeah, sure. The hardest thing I feel is like understanding the standards that you need to have and like understanding the procedure in which to identify the deals because sometimes you could see like a distressed property and you're like this is a deal and you're like but not for that price what are your standards that you have for a wholesale for a fix and flip or for a rental that you want to hold yeah so before i even figure out the exit like the goal is always to try to you know figure out if you could buy it at at a deep discount mm -hmm. so that that varies in every market like for instance in new jersey our target is 50% or below like the after repair value mm. in Phoenix, a more competitive market, like over here, uh, 70% is like a decent deal or like 65%. So it's oh, not after repair value. Yeah. Yeah. After repair value. Damn. So just in Jersey, 
it's a multitude of different reasons. There's like less exits in New Jersey, maybe less appreciation possibly. It's just not like a growing market like Phoenix. So you kind of like in smaller markets, typically you're going to have to buy at deeper discounts. So it's not necessarily about the property being distressed. It's more about the seller being distressed. Mm. Sometimes like the property is in okay shape, but there has to be a problem situation, motivation in the seller's life of like why they want to sell at a discount. So what I do is like, I don't even get a lot of information about um, comping the property or condition. All I'm focused on that first phone call is, you know, how, how can I help? If you're calling me, you must have like a problem, a situation where, you know, you need an easy button type solution where I'm just going to buy the property in a couple of weeks as is cash and you're done with it. So I want to figure out what is that reason? So I do a lot of qualifying out. So essentially like one of my first questions will just be like, you know, hey, John, it looks like it's a really nice property. Why don't you just call up Kiro and have him list it yeah. for you? And then let them tell me the reason why they don't want to list it. Mm. So that seems to be pretty effective because, you know, people aren't going to just come out the gate and be like, hey, I have this property. You know, my mom just died. Yeah, I, need to dump I it. have terrible credit. I need cash. Yeah. Like, you know, so you have to kind of uh, finesse that in the conversation of just trying to trying to reason with them and. And also giving them all their options. I think some people look at our business, um, you know, we're, we're the bottom feeders. We're, we're just trying to rob grandmas uh, of equity and get their properties. But our process is always the same. It's like we always like to give the sellers all of their options. Hey, yeah. you know, you can put money into it and then list it. But, you know, that's that's going to take a few months. You know, those types of closings with loans, you never know, could fall out of escrow, this and that. But we always like to give them all their options and then really have them tell us, no, Ricky, this is why I want to sell to you. And yeah. I'm okay selling it at a discount uh, doing that. Yeah. yeah. It's inter- it's an interesting shift because so many agents would probably hear that and be like, why would I tell them that they can list it? Why would I remind them of that? It's like the Mike Ferry yeah. script says, like, uh, have you considered selling this home on your own? Like asking a seller, have they considered doing a, f- a FISBO? And people yeah. are like, I would never ask that. Why would I remind them that they could sell it themselves? And it's like, no, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's flipping the switch. And, and, and they're giving you, like you said, they're going to end up giving you a lot more information. And, and I think it builds credibility and trust too there, right? Sure. You know, you're, you're not necessarily needing to get that listing in that situation. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're not sounding desperate. You're more coming in as a consultant and, uh, you know, you listing it is an option, but hey, maybe if they, if they want to list it themselves and you give them that information, more power to them. Yeah. yeah. So walk us through that that process. So you're speak now, are you doing these most of these calls or do you have outbound callers or ISAs? Um, so I mostly do all the calls. Uh, so we don't do um, a lot of like cold call marketing these days. Yeah. So like most of my phone calls right now are coming from mailers. So, you know, we send out a few thousand mailers a month that say, you know, we buy houses in any condition, want a cash offer, give us a call. Or uh, our website ranks pretty high organically on Google searches for like, you know, if you go on your phone, type in Summer House Fast New Jersey, you'll see our website, Savannah Properties is like one of the first ones that come up. Sure. So then people fill out forms uh, that way. And then I call those people. So those are more like inbound leads. Yeah. Uh, which th- those are my favorite, especially in my industry, because they are looking for someone like me specifically. Uh, the problem you'll have sometimes uh, cold calling and trying to wholesale is you-, you deal with a lot of the tire kickers or, you know, 90, 
90% of people aren't even ready to sell. And then, you know, only 5% of people are going to be good fits for, for guys like us. Yeah. So if you're cold calling and you're like, Hey, would you consider an offer on your house? Uh, they'd be like, sure. How much? Yeah. yeah. But now you're not dealing with people, you know, like when I worked at Yelp, for instance, and I would call a business owner, I could potentially convince, convince any business owner to spend $5 a day on Yelp ads. Right. I can't convince a homeowner to just sell a property at 60 cents on the dollar. Right. Just because, you know, I, I build good rapport or, you know, I have a good script. So that's really where, where it kind of um, comes down to that, that motivation and, and situation when I'm going through that phone call. Yeah. Well, it's a whole, again, another flip when, when they're calling you, right? Like if, if you're doing all the outbound prospecting and they answer the phone and you're asking, well, you know, would you sell your home? A lot of times they're like, well, you called me. What's the offer? Yeah. And like you, the, the example I always give the agents in our office is if somebody called and said, hey, um, would you consider, if somebody called me and said, hey, would you consider selling your iPhone? I'm like, sure. What's the offer? I paid a thousand bucks for it. If, you're gonna, if you give me 1500, I'll, I'll give it to you. Right. So, so who wouldn't say, yeah, I'm open to an offer, right? It's, yes. it's, it's sort of a silly question because everybody, I, oh, how much? And that's why in, in our business, like when I first, when I was first starting out and had a very small budget, I would just pull a big list of data and, and I would cold call it because yeah. I didn't have another option really to generate leads. So kind of when you're new and starting out and you don't have a lot of money, you might have to do that type of outreach, the kind of the, the grunt work that no one really wants to do. But if yeah. you don't have money, you got to, you know, you got to go knock doors. You got to yeah. go make the cold calls. But as we grew our business, what we decided instead of hiring and we've tried different things, we've had salespeople and not, but what I learned is like, for instance, last, like last month we did two deals. We'll make over 50 K on both of them. And I think I made a total of like seven phone calls all yeah. month. Wow. So just like, like very qualified leads and then just qualify them out. So I'm okay with paying premium for, for a lead at this point. And just not being as busy during the day, making a million cold calls, essentially. Yeah. It's interesting because I was actually talking to John the other day. It was actually yesterday we were talking about this. A lot of the people that we're talking to right now are the ones that desperately do need to sell just because of the market shifts or the interest rates and whatever the case it is. So there's a lot of pain that they would go through if they did sell, but those are the people that really need to. And I was telling him, I was like, a lot of these people now are just like, well, give me an offer. I'm not, I don't want to list the property. I just want to sell it clean and i'm like all right yeah we do that too or full service brokerage let's talk about that but then i'm not used to that approach so we were talking about some of like the standards that you would need to know before going to meet with that seller so like as an agent hat when i have agent brain on i know what i need to do i need to know motivation i need to know the timeline i need to know price decision makers like i need to know what i need to know from there when it's investor focused and i'm going in there as a purchaser for the property what are some of the key things that i need to know be best equipped to handle that situation when I meet with them. Yeah, I, I think like most agents are totally equipped to, to do the same exact thing that we're doing. I, I think the way you need to approach it is just uh, you got to go in investor first, agent second. Mm, yeah, that's, that's so, what we're learning the hard way. Yeah, because you can't it, it's hard to say, hey, I could list it for this price. I might be able to get you this and then come in. But I could also give you a cash offer and then it's like super low. Yeah, that, that doesn't work too well. So, so I would come in more, um, you know, how can I help? I love, I love just that question and then see what the situation is, you know? So you really got to just 
focus on the motivation, focus on, um, you know, focus on too, like, like what's their equity position, you know, what's going on with that, with the property. Does it make sense? Like you already know all of these things. I, I just think the only thing you have to add is I, I like agents will go into a distressed, messed up house and they'll just like walk out and be like, I don't want to list this property. Instead, it's like if you walk into that situation, you see what's going on there and you go, this person can't list this house. This isn't, this isn't a good fit for list it. You don't even really bring up that idea until we, you go, hey, you know, I think in your current situation, you know, I am a cash buyer. You know, have you thought about uh, what's the price you want for for it if you're going to sell it this easy, convenient way? And to your point, John, was that's always like the pivotal point of the conversation. So many sellers are like, I have no idea. I don't know. Make me an offer. But I just don't believe it in my experience with like about 95% of sellers. Most sellers, they have they have an idea. They have a range. They have, whether they looked at the tax assessment bill or, they, they, you know, Zestimate or they talk to their neighbor, Sally, and they know like almost every seller initially is going to say, I have no idea, make me an offer. Yeah. Uh, but they do. So they know, they know they, they wouldn't have called you like they saw they got your postcard. They called you They're They're prepared for that conversation. They have a rough idea. Yeah. They just don't want to show their cards first, which is fair. If somebody called me or I, if yeah. I was reaching out, I wouldn't want to give my number first. Right. It's, it's, yeah. I think it's very rare that somebody's going to give you their number first. So, so I've gotten pretty good at uh, getting them to give me the number first. It's just, um, I just kind of keep pressing. I'm like, Hey, I, I have no idea. Like you just called me up. Like I, You've lived in the house for 20 years. You, you've obviously you've been thinking about this. I'm assuming you probably already called some other postcards or talked to some realtors. Like if I'm going to drive out there, I, I at least need to know a range of where you're going to be at to see if it makes any sense for us to do business to, together. Yeah. So I at least try to get like a range, try to see, you know, somewhat of a price that range that they would accept if it's cash as is. Uh, if they really won't give anything, I'll usually just be like, well, you know, in the last few months we bought a similar property and then like hit them with kind of a lower anchor, but kind of keep it pretty vague Yeah. yeah. and try to see how they react. Yeah. I got a really yeah. good one. Can I share it with you guys? Yeah. So this is, this is my real estate coach. And that's because after I left a couple of appointments, like I, I would say it was my fault because I was too scared to lose the appointment as an investor. Cause like, this is a big opportunity that I didn't do what I would have done if it was a listing opportunity. But then the one well, thing. Well, let me rephrase that. He was afraid to walk walk out of there lose. without something. Yeah. So he went right. in as a realtor. Yeah. So it was like a little bit of a weird situation. What he was telling me to do, and it was genius advice. He's like, when you go in there and you put the folder on the table, have the folder on the table, look at the seller and say, so I've done my three to four hours worth of research and I have my numbers here. John, Ricky, curious, what do you think the most the buyer is willing to pay for your home? And psychologically, because I'm grabbing the folder, you're assuming I already have the number here, but I'm just wanting to hear what you're thinking. Yeah. And what the value of the property is, is what a buyer's willing to pay for the home. So by saying, what do you think the most the buyer's willing to pay for your home? They'll give you a number because they now think that you've already written it in there. It's yeah. probably like in big, bold numbers, like it's $100. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, but the reality is it's, it's comparables. It's based off of interpretation of the comps and the property. So he's like, when you're in that situation, then you could adjust your strategy instantly yeah as long as it always comes back to like how can i best help this person right correct because you're not trying to steal it it's it's what is their issue what is their problem do they need the money quickly because they need to you know their wife needs to do an operation 
Do they, you right. know what I mean? Like, do they even have the time to go on the market? Do they have the money to repair the house? Yeah. Well, you would know that before yeah. you go on the appointment. But yeah, of course. Just for the purposes of uncovering that number. Yeah. Totally. John just made and, it seem like I was trying to steal property. No, no, no. <laughs> He's I like, just, no, you do not. You do not. Steal I just that. know that people can can misconstrue what, yeah. what was said. Yeah, Kira, yeah. I think I think on that point too. What what sometimes I like when you're dealing with sellers who who are acting like that, I have no idea. I'll go like, okay, look, if I come to the property and and I make you an offer, how are you going to decide if I'm robbing you yep. or if if that's a great offer? How are you going to decide if you have no idea what a fair offer is? What's my number going to be to you? So, so then at least, oh, well, my cousin's a realtor. And, and now it's like, okay, now I'm like understanding their decision-making process, how they're going to like determine what's the best thing to do with this house. Yeah. So that, that, that's a good little uh, tip on those, those two is, is questioning them about how are you going to decide if my offer is good or bad? Yeah, no, that's pretty genius too. And well, if you get it, if someone's saying they're relying on information from someone else, then you know that they're an external personality type. So when you're talking to them and making general statements like, well, everybody knows that when you're selling the house, you have to sell it with, you know, you could, you could do those kind of things yeah. to push the conversation. Yeah. If they act like they know it all, like, well, I'll know when, when the offer is right. And you know, they're internal. That, yes. And you're going to be like, well, I don't have to tell you that when we get together, like you could have more of that conversation where you're being salesy at, well, you're, inf- you're having a little bit more influence in that conversation. Um, so so talk, talk, go ahead. Go ahead. Talk to us about your process. So you said before in New Jersey, you like to buy things at least at 50% to the ARV, right? After repair value. Yeah. So let's say you're talking to a prospective seller. You know, you think the ARV is 400,000 mm-hmm. and you think they're willing to sell it for 200,000. What are the next steps of your process? Yeah. So, so generally I'm looking at, uh, like I said, I always try to get a number out of them. So once I kind of figure out, okay, that's what their number at, then I go and underwrite the deal. So I try to underwrite the deal. I figure out, you know, what, what is the ARV? What are all my exit strategies essentially? So we have wholesale, we have, we could close on it and just relist it. Uh, we could do like a light rehab, like a wholesale, and then put it on the market. Uh, we could do a full flip, try to get, you know, max out the ARV and sell it that way. Or we could like burr it into a rental. Mm. That's kind of like all of our exits. So once once I figure out it's it's a motivated seller, uh, you know, they, they're asking like a reasonable wholesale type price. I underwrite it in all those different ways based upon kind of the condition, the house, the location, the taxes. Like, you know, in New Jersey, so many houses, the taxes are over eight grand. I'm not using that as a rental. So right yeah. away, it's like, okay, that doesn't work as a rental. And then I just, it, it's kind of a determination between like uh, velocity of money and maximizing profit. Mm. So sometimes it's like, okay, we could, you know, just close on it and immediately resell and make 40 grand or, you know, and that'll be done in like a month or we could do a full rehab and that might take six, seven months, but we might make, you know, a hundred thousand doing that. So then it's kind of just determining between kind of what other projects we have going on, how busy we are uh, to determine what the best exit strategy is. Yeah. But typically, if we're going to like actually contract a deal, we have multiple good exit strategies. And then it's just a matter of sometimes even uh, we'll close it and then see like we had one where we closed on it. And we're like, I don't know. I feel like we might be able to just get the same, make the same profit if we just sell it as is compared to if we fixed it up. Yeah. So then we put it on the market as is and see if we could get that number. If we can't, 
we just waste a week of holding costs, which isn't that big of a deal, especially if we stay under like 300K yeah. uh, for the most part in New Jersey. And then we might decide, okay, actually, let, let's fix it up and try to maximize that profit. So I think when you find a really good deal, there should be uh, like multiple obvious good uh, exit strategies. And that's how you know, uh, kind of like what we were talking about, like me, me and my partner, Steve, we literally do our underwriting like so simple. We're like, oh, it probably sell for around this. You probably have to put 40K into it, probably like 20K in holding costs. Our maximum offer is going to be this price. And then we just mm -hmm. try to get it as deeply below that maximum allowed offer price as possible. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of people, not only are they afraid to pull the trigger on, on buying investment property and wholesales and, and all that because they have realtor brain or they just, you know, are worried about the, the potential risk. But they probably don't even want to go out of like a 30 minute radius of their house. And if this wasn't clear from the beginning of this this episode, you know, you're doing this from Arizona. You're buying homes in New Jersey. It's crazy. Which you're obviously not seeing. Yeah. But obviously yeah. you have boots on the ground. So talk to us about your process. You just hung up the phone with a great seller uh, or a prospective seller. You think there's a, a, a deal to be had. You've underwritten it. What are your next steps? What's your boots on the ground? How do you how do you handle that? Yeah, so it depends. Like, uh, I'll bring up like two scenarios. We we just bought one in a uh, Gloucester uh, city, which is uh, too far south for us to really flip. Um, but yeah. it was a great situation. And why, why too far south to flip? Uh, just my partner Steve. He lives in Robbinsville, so yeah. like we try to stick within a like a 30, 45 minute radius uh, for all of our crews there. Um, so this was a little too south for us. It was a smoking deal. I think um, the guy wanted. The, the number he gave me is like, if I could get 33K for it, or I think he wanted 35, I counter with 30 and we bought it for 33. And the property as is value is like 90,000. Nice. So, so on a property like that, um, he was, he was a younger savvier guy. Like the price made sense. I just sent him the, the DocuSign as soon as I was like, yeah, if we could do 33, like, are you ready to, to go? Are you ready to sign? He's like, yeah, let's do it. So I just sent him a DocuSign and we locked it up. I, and, and we ended up closing on it last week and like Steve didn't even go see the property until after we closed on it. Yeah. But, but we knew we had, we got it at such a good deal that pretty much he sent some photos of the property to us. We pretty much knew like it's, it's fine yeah. because we bought it at such a good deal. Now, another property we had last week, these were older folks. They were like asking us for our fax number. So like in this type of a situation, we like to take more the the kitchen table approach. So I will pretty much figure out what's their lowest price that they'd be willing to take if we come out and see it. I try to set it up with like an upfront contract of like, hey, we're we're coming to buy the house. Like as long as we can make sense on price and we're both happy, are you guys ready to sign? So I really tee up the appointments in in a way like Steve's going there just to get the contract signed essentially. Yeah. So sometimes we just decide if, if it's like an in-person, if it's more competitive and we know there's multiple offers, uh, we like to always get boots on the ground and, and actually meet the seller face sure. to face and go see the property. Uh, because there are a lot of wholesalers out there that uh, they're not doing that. Yeah. You know, so I think you always do have an advantage if you could go see the property. It's just a matter of like, if we feel like it's needed or not, yeah. Um, if it's not needed, we send the DocuSign, but if it is needed, I I'll just set like a really, really firm, good appointment, vet out all the bullshit. And I mean, Steve, Steve closes like 90% of, uh, the appointments he goes to. So sure. 
That's pretty dope. It's because of the prequel that you do is, is so strong that he actually gets it signed with ease. And I think the whole process too. Most yeah. a lot of these people are calling you, right? Off True. of off a postcard. Instead right. of you seeking them out. So they've sought True. you out. You're saying to them, here are your options. You could just give it to a realtor. Why don't you do that? Which which causes them to give you their their real concerns. And then you're sending somebody in person. So I think that's you know, overall, it's it's it sounds probably a little bit basic and and uh, obvious, but no, I think that 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 that's a, a really fine tuned process. Yeah. So I think here the the million dollar question, no pun intended, is I think there are people watching this going, all right, well, this is really cool. You guys probably have money in the bank. You know that that's great for you you that you can close on all these properties because you got money. But how are you guys financing these deals? Are you using hard money? Are you using private money? Are you using your own money? Yeah. So, so when we first started, uh, we were just wholesaling probably our first five to 10 deals, I would say, something like that. In what and time then, frame? Uh, 2019. Yeah. In early 2020. So at first we were just wholesaling and uh, we were loud about it. Like I was making social media posts. I got into like trying to grow my social media, you know, change my Instagram tag to real estate Ricky. Uh, people, people started seeing what I was doing. When that happens, then it's like, you kind of just got to be strategic in your own life. You probably have people in your life that have 100K on the sidelines, where if you could pay them like 10% interest only, they would do that all day if they felt like their money was safe. So once we did some wholesale deals and it was like, oh, Ricky's like doing his own thing. He's wholesaling and uh, looks like he's like doing business and real estate deals. Uh, People would reach out to me and be like, oh, I want to get into flipping houses. And then I would kind of educate them. Well, it's a lot of work. You got to like find really good deals and to find really good deals is hard. And they're like, yeah, I don't want to do all that, but I, I do have money. And I'm like, well, what if I just use your money on these deals and it's backed by real estate? Hmm. And that's how uh, we acquired three to four private money lenders that we still use today. Nice. And, you know, like I was, I was saying our average purchase, I mean, we keep stuff really under 300 K, but our average purchase is probably like 150 to 200. So if you have a million dollars of private money, you could recycle a lot. Like you can do a lot of deals with just a small amount compared to like, you know, in Arizona, the average purchase price here is like 400 plus rehab. Mm-hmm. So you need a lot more private money out here to, to be doing high volume compared to what we're doing in New Jersey. Yeah. So we don't use really any hard money lenders um, on any flips we've ever done. We've always just used private money and we pay our investors 10% interest only on the back end when we sell. So we don't even have monthly payments or anything like that. Wow. Yeah. So even if it's a one month flip, they, yeah. they still get 10%. Yeah. Got it. They'll get 10%. And a lot of them though, it's like, uh, sometimes we just keep their money. Like we have this one private money lender who's got like 200K with us. And if it's like a one month type flip and we know another one's like in the pipeline, We'll just keep it going. Yeah. And it just and keeps compounding with every single deal. Yeah. Yeah. Within like the year, usually then we'll do a payoff Got it. and just kind of see like, Hey, here's your interest. Like, do you want the money back? Do you want it to keep working? And most of the guys, honestly, like they want the money to, to, to just stay in there. Yeah. And so usually we'll at least do a payoff, like after like a flip closer or something. And then we'll be like, Hey, we could send like the entire wire back or do you just want, your interest and then we could use this. We have another deal coming up in two weeks. Yeah. And it's kind of like that. So, so we have pretty close relationships with all of our private lenders too. 
um, where like we're not even recording like deeds with them, just promissory notes. They right. don't even know about the properties. They're just like, yeah, do your thing. Like just just keep paying me my ten percent every month. Like that's all I want. So that's yeah. awesome. How do that's you? What I do with my bookie. I'm like, just keep just keep it in. The, just keep it <laughs> right. in. Yeah. Roll it over. Yeah, yeah. yeah, roll over. Have you ever done any like of the creative financing stuff, like sub twos or stuff like that? I have a podcast myself out yeah. in Arizona with a bunch of creative finance guys. Yeah. And I love talking about it. I love structuring deals like that. And I'm sure I will probably hear soon at some point. I've yeah. recently like, I would say I've added it to actually like my tool belt. Just like, like realtors should add wholesaling as, you know, and flipping and rentals to their tool belt. I'm at the point where I'm adding creative to the tool belt. I think when you're starting out though, it's, it's hard to have every exit strategy available mm-hmm. because then all of a sudden like you're you're talking to sellers and you're qualifying and everyone's kind of gives a little bit of a hard time about price and it's like if your goal is just to buy it no i need to buy it at 50 50 cents or lower on the dollar you get laser focused in on that and you you become really good at doing that but yeah. if all of a sudden if like you could pitch creative and at a higher price and try to make kind of shitty deals work essentially I just think it kind of is like that shiny object syndrome, yeah, which is so real in real estate yeah. that you really have to avoid that. So I would say I definitely probably have passed up on some deals because I was like laser focused, but I think it was the right thing to do kind of in hindsight. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm at the point now though, like if I do talk to a low equity lead and I know like cash isn't going to work and there is motivation and distress there, I'll consider, you know, whether doing, uh, terms, novations. Like we actually just uh, JV'd a deal on a lead that we had. It didn't work for a cash offer, but it worked as a novation. So mm-hmm. we just are doing like a 50 50 split with a guy that in Jersey that does novations. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about all that complicated paperwork and like I, I don't want to deal with all that, but I found someone that could give me that exit strategy. So mm-hmm. I think that's a good move too sometimes. Can you explain you know, uh, novation? I'm sorry. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, just a a novation essentially is a creative finance way of like, you would say, uh, let's say the seller wanted like 220 and you think on market it could sell for 270. This is this deal that we have. Um, But for cash, we really need it at like 180. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to work as cash, but they are willing to sell at a discount. So you just not a big enough discount. Right. Not a big enough discount. So essentially you you contract with the seller that they're going to get their 220 and then I would hire a realtor to just list it. And the difference between 220 and what it ends up selling for after all my costs is what I would make. Yeah. Now, I, I personally, like, I don't love novations. I think it's kind of like gray Shiesty area. A little bit, yeah. Because yeah, they could have just listed like, it themselves. They should just list it or, or do this. But it does work sometimes in some situations. And I know yeah. some guys in South Jersey doing it. So this was a situation where I'm like, hey, it's not going to work for cash, but... I think there is a deal here. And then I just set the lead to those guys. And then, and now they're doing their novation thing with it. Yeah. And then if it closes, we'll end up splitting it on yeah. the back end. Well, the other so, scenario I've seen people do novations on too is if, it, like the scenario you said, right? So on the market, it goes for 270. You think you could get it for 220. So you sometimes could pay. I think some of the novation guys are, are paying out of their pocket to do a minor rehab yeah. on the property that the seller may not have that money or the, the resources to do it. So you're renovating a property you don't necessarily own yet. 
And if yeah, it sells yeah. for more, you you get all the upside above X number of dollars. Yeah, some guys are doing that. Like me personally, like I'm not I'm not rehabbing a house if I don't have the title. Yeah, I, 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 just I don't blame that, it. Yeah, but but that's just like an example of, of one way. Same, same thing, like sometimes in Arizona, I don't want like a bunch of random, no equity, sub two, single family rentals out here. Like my goal in Arizona is not to own a bunch of single family rentals and like build that up. So if I come across a lead out here, um, there's all these like like Pace. He's built this massive sub two community out in Phoenix where that's what people want. So if I see a good opportunity where, you know, the lead came to me and they're motivated to stress, uh, but they have no equity, I'm like, okay, this would make sense to pitch sub two. So then I just have someone that I have a good relationship with that I just send that lead to. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of, I like to kind of stay in my lane, but smart. I know how to identify you know, when cash doesn't make sense, how to theory. do it, all the other options, even like with listings, like uh, sometimes we'll get a listing out of our leads in New Jersey and then we just like refer it out and, and get paid 25%. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, so you guys know what you're good at. Yeah. One of the biggest things that I took away from a lot of what's been going on recently, especially with the kind of people we're calling and stuff like that, uh, is something from Ray Dalio. He was talking about like creating principles in terms of how you analyze things moving forward. And I literally have like a questionnaire in my prequel now. It's like, what's the equity amount? What's there? And it's like, is this an option for creative financing? And it goes in terms of like, how did they describe the definition of the property? And what did they rate it on a scale of one to 10? If it's below eight, is this a potential purchase? Sure. Like, and I'm like literally asking myself these questions. So that way I can keep my realtor focus on. But then if one of those things get triggered, I'm like, wait, there's something here. Yes or no. Is there something here? Yes or no. Sure. That way I don't constantly waste opportunities and go to an appointment and be like, shit, now I need to switch from realtor to investor. This right. doesn't work like that. Because you need to go in there, like you said at first, investor, then maybe say, you know, here's another option that we can help you with. Yeah. And I think for me too, just like my personal life, like I like uh, anything that's just kind of wasteful time. Like I don't like going to appointments, even, like if it's going to be like a small shitty deal. Yeah. Like I'd rather do less deals and have a higher average deal value and just not be on the phones or not be trying to underwrite a million deals all day long. Like yeah. I'm okay doing that. Like in 2021, that was like our first eye opening year where I was like, Oh shit, we did a million dollars, but it was off 20 deals. Yeah. We averaged 75,000 in net profit per deal. Nice. So like, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So if I see a situation and it just doesn't, it should be pretty obvious that it's a deal. You shouldn't have yeah. to like Convince really yourself. go in a deep underwriting and be like, well, maybe if we like, like I hear a lot about like, uh, like the lender, Oh man, like that deal's not going to work because my lender's charging me two points. It's like, if two points is going to be the make or break on a, on a flip, you should, probably shouldn't be flipping that deal. Yeah. So we, we probably let some small deals kind of go on the wayside, but at the same time, when you really look at the value of your time, it's like, I work like an hour a day on the New Jersey business. Wow. You know, like that's it. Wow. I prefer to do that than to try to make 20% more working four times the amount of work, I guess. Talk to us in closing. One thing that we didn't touch upon too much was some of the marketing efforts that you're putting out there. I know you yeah. talked about postcards. You did some stuff on SEO. Like you said, your website's very high ranking. Any other initiatives that you guys are, are you know, putting money into and, and that have been serving you well? So throughout the years, we've done all the marketing. So I break it down like this. You have data marketing. So, you know, pull big lists of data, skip trace it. Now you have all these phone numbers. You can do three things with those. You could text them, cold call them, or send ringless voicemails. All the data marketing since like 2019 has gotten 
way more restricted and harder to do mm -hmm. uh, just with regulations and different things like that. And data marketing is a lot of work. Like you, you have to be like, okay, am I pulling good list of data? And then am I getting good skip tracing data? Yeah. And then are my cold callers, are they on good scripts? And then like, are my text messages having a high send rate? So it's like, it, it's just complicated and a lot to manage, yep. uh, but it is cheap to generate a lot of leads. So if you're new starting out data marketing, it's good. Um, in New Jersey, we ran, we ran radio ads. We ran, ran radio ads on a uh, 101.5, like the biggest radio station in New Jersey for old people. Uh, we did that for, for a whole summer. Yeah. It didn't work out too good. So we cut that. That was pretty expensive. Um, so, so now we pretty much just focus on inbound marketing because like I said, it's just me and my partner. I'm answering all the phone calls. Like we have very low overhead. We probably spend four grand a month total between like all of our systems, marketing. Nice. So we're just kind of like a lean, lean machine with some, some good high, highly qualified inbound leads. Uh, we tried bandit signs. Uh, they, they seem to work better in, in Arizona, New Jersey. I don't know. I think it's New Jersey people, man. They see those signs. They just rip them down and, you know, exactly. Uh, and the cities can be the hard. telephone pole signs. Yeah. Like the telephone yeah. pole, pole signs. So we've tried that. Uh, so we've tried it all. I think all marketing works, That's but like you should pick, pick something and, and stick with it for a while and get really good at it. You yeah. know, like, um, but it all works. We've literally gotten deals probably every single type of marketing channel. At this point though, we, we really just focus on uh, the most qualified motivated seller leads, which in my opinion, ranking it number one is SEO. Number two is mail. Number three wow. is PPC. And then, I mean, if you're running like TV or radio ads, like those are, those are great leads too, because you, you also have that uh, credibility of like, oh, the radio guy, like the yeah. TV guy, like yeah. he's trustworthy. So yeah, if you could do like that, but, but like I said, a TV ad is going to be probably your most expensive cost per lead. So I don't mind kind of paying more, more per lead for more qualified lead, if that makes sense. It does. And spending your time there. When you say SEO, I'm just curious real quick if we have two more minutes. When you say SEO is number one, what do you mean by that? Like the search engine optimization for like the website itself? Uh, just just as far as um, that type of a lead seems to be uh, the highest converting into a uh, like wholesale price type deal. Yeah. So someone who fills on like an application from your website. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the last one we got. It was I get the form and it has their you know name info and it's like uh, just inherited a family property, bunch of stuff in it, looking to sell ASAP. It's like you call that person up. It, it's just easy, right? Yeah. What you was know? their motivation? Just out of curiosity, that person. Yeah. yeah inherited the property yeah. and then the house had a bunch of stuff in it and her and her two sisters lived like two hours away. Uh, I think they're like older brother who was like, you know, kind of low level type guy passed away in it. So they didn't have really any skin in the game per se. You know, I think those are always great leads too. Like if you're not making those mortgage payments for 20 years, you're not as worried about price. Yeah. But she just didn't it's want to move money. the house. There, there's a bunch yeah. of crap in the house. We call and that as soon as I, finding money in your couch. <laughs> right. As soon as I told her, you know, that, no, you could just leave everything in the house. We'll take care of it. She's like, oh my God. Like, can you be at the house tomorrow? I just want to be done with this. And we're like, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, I think we could do that. Yeah, so... So yeah, I've just, in my experience, those have been uh, just the most qualified leads yeah. uh, compared to any other leads. Like, and, and the worst leads are probably, yeah, cold call, just because you're getting that type, what's your price? I don't need to sell type, type sellers. Yeah. yeah. 
do you think you get more distressed people because of your price point? Like, would you say yeah, there's more sophisticated, less distressed people in the four hundred to seven hundred thousand dollar range? Yes, I, I would. I yeah. think typically, yeah, yeah, the cheaper houses, yeah, yeah, more like the the average person is like probably like doesn't even know what Zillow is, honestly. Like they're like tax assessment. They don't have all these different options. Like like that's like our bread and butter is like the the cheaper houses. Yeah. Um, when you get more expensive. They typically like they're not going to run into financial distress like it's not as big of a deal like if it takes a few months to just like list it and let that ride out but our best deal actually did it was uh we ever did we made 175k off it was uh, a 550k house in um new haven like a little beach beach town nice yeah and uh and the guy just didn't want to deal with his nosy neighbors it was like a little <sighs> pocket and like everyone knows everyone and he just kind of wanted to scoot out of there real quick and it, it was super hard to comp because there were like there was only like one sale in a, a mile in the last year yeah uh, but we knew it was super desirable so it was hard to price but like he gave us a price we took a chance on it and then sold it two weeks later for like 175k more wow which was like way more than we thought but um but yeah, so our, our best deal actually did come in kind of that five to seven hundred price range, but that that's uncommon. Usually, you're not going to find as uh, financially distressed people. You know, it's like typically the like not in a bad way, but a lot of the people we buy from, like they've been making like not the best financial decisions their whole life. Yeah. Like if you get yourself in the situation, unfortunately, like you probably procrastinated, and now you're just like choosing the the best of your worst options. Yeah, no, that's a good way to say it. It's... You can't you can't really do much about that for them by the time they get to me yeah i once uh took john to a hoarder house because a lot of we had the whole outbound system you were talking about for like digital or like calling out we had that whole operation running where we had 16 17 outbound callers making cold calls every single day yeah it, the numbers are being skip traced it was like what lead source are we calling through what skip tracing service are we having is it correct is it spam like numbers 17 times yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. It was a pain in the ass, huge pain in the ass. But we would get a lot of opportunities in there that we, I, you know, one of the guys I looked at it, I was like, "This is a piece of shit looking house." There's like a bunch of shit on the Google Maps, uh, image of it. So I take him there. It's in a town called Belleville. As soon as we pull up and park in the house, we go inside. The seller opens the door. He looks at me, and I know his facial expression. He's like, "I ain't going in this shit." And I'm like, "Go, go, go!" Then this <laughs> dog pops out of nowhere, and the house is completely stuffed. You remember this place? Yeah. He was like, he looks at me, he's like, I'm coming back here to let that dog free. Cause it's like, my goal was, and I'm not like a PETA, like a uh, animal humane freak, but I always grew up with dogs and I, I, I appreciate animals. I saw that video immensely. My goal was to let Kiro go on the appointment, distract the guy. And I was going to fucking save the dog. <laughs> but I don't know where, yeah. Yeah. Just a, but it's, it's, but that guy was insane because the house was in complete like a mess. Yeah. He was in financial dis like distress, but he was so unrealistic about his price point. And he was just like, well, if I get this, I'll make it work. And it was like right at like that max number that would actually make yeah. sense. And we didn't know how bad the house was the, until we got the there. The other problem though with New Jersey is you can not pay for your home for seven an extensive years. period yeah. of time. Oh and, yeah. It's, and see it's and have no recourse. So like that's probably a guy like that, right? True. Where he's got a, a higher but priced then, home. But then that guy eventually like let the timeline go further and that's yeah. the guy you end up buying his house for 50 cents on the dollar yeah. even cheaper like a year down the road when like the tax foreclosure is finally going to go down yeah. yeah so it's just like unfortunately like a lot of those people 
like they've been like making like bad financial decisions their whole life. It's like, this is just adding to it. So if you're coming in there, it's like, just do what you say you're going to do, actually close on the deal, give them all their options. But yeah, you're just dealing with a lot of, a lot of people like my girlfriend's mom, like she sold her house. Like I was like, why don't you do this? Why don't she's like, no, 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 no. I just want to like fix it up and sell it and, and be done with it. And so, some people just want that, you know, yeah. they just really prioritize convenience and e- it's, ease it's and getting and then, every last last dollar isn't exactly and and you know i think a lot of times i got stuck in my mind i'm like i'm the kind of person where if i put my house on the market i want to get every dollar like i don't want to leave any money Same. on the table yeah but there are people out there that will trade convenience and quickness for you know a lower offer right and and it's funny like dealing like in the prospecting world we've all dealt with like fizbos right fizbos always think that they can do it they <laughs> yeah, can do what we do right and not have to pay us so there's that that category of people who think that they can do what we do. They're open to having open houses every single weekend and having all these people in. But then there's a whole nother bucket of people that are saying, I don't want anybody in my house. Right. I don't want my neighbor to know. I don't want anybody to know. I want this to be done. Even if it's at a lower price, just make it done. Yeah. So Yeah, and it's it's hard to put a price tag on that. You know, there's not yeah. many guys out there when you really think about it uh, that will just like walk the property one time give you a number on a, you know, our, our, our PSA is one page long. Like it is literally uh, just saying we're buying your house as is cash, no backing out, no nothing. Yeah. Right. Like hard EMD, no inspection periods. So like some people like just really appreciate that. And that's yeah. all they're looking for. They want to like sign the dotted line and then the, all their problems are solved. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, a listing agreement doesn't do that for that type of a seller. So it's like, you know, if you find that seller that wants that and you're, you are an agent and probably a lot of agents listen to it, just give them that option initially. And then like, if that seems like what they might want, and then if that price just doesn't, if if they're like, no way, and they go back to price, then it's like, turn your listing hat back on. Exactly. Awesome. Sweet, man. Awesome, man. Well, we've gone over our time. We really do appreciate you spending some time with us today, especially on a Friday evening. And, uh, this has been really really valuable i think people will certainly have a lot of takeaways from this and Amen. let us know if we can ever you know do anything to uh to help you yeah yeah any deals in like that central south jersey area yeah. uh, let me know what's where, the best way for someone to reach out to to refer one of those uh pro- probably uh instagram uh at real estate ricky underscore at real estate that'll be the best way sweet awesome man thank you so much for for uh your time today we appreciate it And yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah. Thanks guys. It was fun.